Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers and delighted to welcome back Brenda Berg as our guest this week. We're going to be talking about education and education in North Carolina. And Brenda is the president and CEO of Best North Carolina. And that stands for Business for, Edu- Business for Education Success and Transformation in North Carolina. It's a nonpartisan coalition of over 100 business leaders who have a focus on making education in North Carolina the best in the nation. And so they recruited and hired Brenda Berg to head up that, that, uh, that effort. And we've had Brenda on a number of times and, and uh, we're always fascinated in her latest uh, research and, and uh, suggestions and uh, the things that they are advocating that uh, will improve education. So Brenda, first of all, welcome back to the program. Delighted to have you back. Thank you, Don. It's so nice to be here. I always appreciate our conversations. We want to talk a little bit. Uh, we're, we're doing this more and more because COVID-19 is still with us in many cases, but it's kind of behind us in the way that we are reacting to it these days. So let's go back now and sort of do a retrospective on what happened uh, to education in North Carolina because of COVID-19. Go back to its inception and sort of bring us up to date on what uh, impacts uh, we have had in the past and what we might continue to have uh, as a result of uh, the COVID-19 situation, which, as I said, is sort of under control these days, but is still with us. Yeah, it's... So give us a... It's, yeah, go, go uh, oh, thank you. Sorry. We, it's, it's been a, uh, you know, where have we been? Of course, as you know, schools closed completely for at least several months at the beginning and then school districts each at their own discretion um, decided whether to go back into the classroom or partially back and, and so on and so forth. And that, that has its own um, ramifications. But as we look back at those years, the consequences are not just with us today, but I think I fear that they will be with us for decades. Uh, we have, we're now, I, I'm really impressed with how North Carolina is not shying away from the facts. We have uh, the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction is our education agency. And um, they stood up an entity actually before COVID called the Office of learning, recovery, and acceleration. Um, Wonderfully timed with a time where learning recovery is sort of the language we need. And they have done an in-depth analysis of where kids are, where they need to be, and also some of just the learnings from those couple of, you know, two years of, of some students being learning from home. And, um, and what they found is, is, not unexpected, but it's good to have the the actual data. Um, One lesson we've learned is that um, students of all kinds, of all levels of of, of, uh, academic success and from all backgrounds lost traction with COVID. Every single group, every single subgroup of students lost traction. Um, As you might suspect, students who are homeless did worse, right? So not only are you homeless, but say you're living on a sofa or living in a car and and now you don't have internet access and you can't log into class. And so we we marked a 70% decline, for example, in, in eighth grade math scores for homeless students. I mean, just a tragic, tragic number. Um, now they're looking across the board at, I think, seventh grade math was something like a 10-month learning loss on average across the state. So these, what was interesting about that is we're learning that math 
consequences were much greater than ELA, than English uh, language arts. So, you know, we, we have had this great and very important focus on the science of reading and improving literacy in North Carolina, and we're going to have to double down on mathematics as well going forward. That's one of the lessons. The other lesson that we learned is that the schools that got back into the classroom faster did better. The students who were back in front of teachers, which gets us to the fact that we already know, which is teachers are really important and classrooms are really important and being with your peers is very important. And so having a, a mask experiment that we didn't want to have and, and hope never to have again, at least gives us some data and insights into exactly how important that experience of walking into a school building and being in a classroom is for these students. Those are just a couple of insights we've learned. Well, I think that last point is is one that we, as uh, uh, a, unintended consequence of the whole deal, but it is a very valuable lesson. And that is that uh, classroom experience is not, not at least for the foreseeable future, going to replace distant learning. Uh, but that doesn't mean that distant learning is not still a, a tool to use, but it, it is just not as effective as being in the classroom. And uh, now I, I also understand that uh, college students, uh, entering college students, freshmen, had more difficulty adjusting this year. I, I know that's not the focus of your group, but uh, uh, I hear that uh, from several sources that, that uh, the graduated seniors have more trouble adjusting to college in their first year of uh, after COVID. Have you heard that? I haven't had seen that on a on an extensive level, but of course it, it resonates. It makes sense. In fact, uh, just talking about the same um, experience on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, children who were in say kindergarten when COVID hit and then suddenly they're home again for first and second grade, they're, they're having real struggles with how do you sit still in a classroom and how do you adjust? And I, I can absolutely imagine as a, as a mother of a, a high school student and a college student, um, those adjustments getting into the college experience and, and being responsible and um, after having this sort of lapse for the last couple of years makes perfect sense. And, and the college application process, I know firsthand is a, a whole has been a whole different animal the last couple of years with you know, test optional and not being able to get onto campuses and, and students are applying to I think think many more schools than they'd applied to in the past. So then schools are struggling to figure out who do they accept and how's that going to work. So it really has thrown a, a kink in the whole process of from looking at schools and applying to schools. And then, as you said, getting settled into the school environment. I know, um, again, speaking from experience, um, my daughter's public university here in North Carolina, um, a third of her classes, more than 40% of her classes were uh, asynchronous virtual. So not just virtual, but like you and I are virtual, but virtual um, with the all of their coursework just being put onto a website and they just sort of do it at, at a certain pace. Um, and, and again, from our experience, that's not the best way to learn. And so how do we adapt and, and get professors back into the, you know, classroom as well. So let me ask you this. Now, looking ahead, do you think things will be back to normal this fall as far as uh, uh, schools being in session and classes meeting in person? Are we, are we at that uh, uh, stage in this whole mess that we can say, okay, well, things may be finally getting back to normal? Yeah, I think we can hope. I think there are two, th two things at play. One is 
are we going to see a surge, right? We're hearing that we'll see another surge, but what does that look like right now? I think we're seeing a surge, but the, so many people are vaccinated and, you know, it's the, the consequences seem to be more mild. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have better information about how important it is, like the risk factor, the cost benefit of, of getting students back into the schools, I think are more notable than they've been in the past. So I'm hopeful that everyone is is really invested in, in making sure that kids are in the classroom safely, right? Just politics aside, if masks make sense, great. You know, uh, if, if a teacher is at risk, let's make accommodations. But but I think I, I, I think and I hope that school boards will be more attuned to the fact that that the risks are very, very high for and the consequences are very high for not having students back in the school building. Well, at least from what I'm reading and seeing and hearing is that uh, the cases that we are having now are more akin to uh, similarity between ordinary flu. It's not right. like it's not ordinary flu, but it, the symptoms and the recovery time is more like uh, a, a case of, uh, of a very bad cold or like case of flu. And uh, uh, so we've, we've dealt with that forever. We've always had cases where in the fall we've had flu and and colds and so forth. And so uh, I guess you wash your hands, you know, yeah. <laughs> don't cough into your well, hands. Let's get back that, to those. Uh, basic. I'm, hoping <laughs> I'm hoping during flu season that we all have enough sense to put masks on again, because it uh, that obviously worked with ordinary flu last year, because we had the fewest cases of ordinary flu that we've had in a long time and colds were way down too. So maybe if, uh, we use good judgment. We'll put the mask on, not necessarily for COVID, but for flu and, and, and colds, because it that certainly worked last year. Uh, so, uh, so as you're seeing it now, most of the schools are going to be returning to what it would seem to be a more normal schedule and uh, more time in the classroom. Yep. Uh, and that's yep. the way it appears right now. Yep, like, that's what it looks like now. Well, okay, so now uh, what did we learn during the period of time about distant learning and about use of broadband and computers that we can say, okay, we've, we've had a uh, time where we depended on it more. Did we learn how to use that uh, that valuable tool better? You know, I, I think you know, there's the, the upside is regardless of whether it's distance learning or not, teachers learned really helpful tools, right? Communication tools, um, there are more tools that if we do have a snowstorm, right, you, you can continue learning um, where how to post their assignments online in a more consistent way, which is really helpful for students who have ADHD. Um, so there, there are some, some benefits. We were sort of everyone thrown into the deep end and they had to, to learn all these new technologies. I think there are definite upsides to, to this. Um, the other thing that, that I think we learned is that and I'm hoping that we'll learn is if you look at this data where students are months and months and months behind, and we know that they're months behind where they should have been, not just normal behind. We've always had students who are behind. When fewer than 50% of students are reading on grade level, that means more than 50% are behind. And so I think one thing that we're, we should be taking away from this is that pushing kids forward continuously in their in their learning, not necessarily just with their peers. I understand the idea of keeping peers together, but the idea of just pushing kids forward, if, if I didn't learn seventh grade math, that is going to put a real damper on whether or not I can learn eighth grade math. So how do we, you know, 
revisit content that students don't know until they know it. And that's called personalized learning or competency-based learning. And I really hope that this is a lesson that we learn and we pull forward into the, the future. I think North Carolina is, because of our, our commitment to digital learning and all the technology that was rolled out, all the laptops, um, that even within the classroom um, and physically being there with the teacher and with their peers, that we could move toward more competency-based learning where every single student is moving forward at their best pace. Um, and that means moving accelerated students forward faster. It means catching kids up faster and everybody, everybody can benefit. And if you look at the data, there's one little tiny subset of students, and I think it's third grade reading, where the gifted students did better. It, for that one moment, for that one particular class. And I, I can't help but wonder that that creating an, a, a situation, an environment, and a technology that is lifting up all students at the same time will be a, a, a movement in the future that we learned a lesson from, from COVID. I want to continue with one more question when we return. And that question is, what did parents learn and take out of the COVID situation? And we'll do that when we return with our guest, Brenda Bird. President and CEO of Best North Carolina. We'll take a, a time out for these messages and we'll be right back. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. And welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Brenda Berg. We've had Brenda on a number of times. She heads up an advocacy organization that works for the best interest of uh, promoting, promoting education, primarily K through 12. It's uh, funded by a group of 100 business leaders, and that's the way the name came out, business, Businesses for education, Educational Success and Transformation. That comes out to be best. Well, Brenda, we, we ended the last segment with one sort of holdover question, and that is we were talking about what we learned during COVID-19, and you were talking more about what educators learned. What did parents learn, or what should parents have come up with out of that whole experience of either having the kids at home more, doing more uh, work at home, uh, and living through the whole COVID experience. What what uh, do you think that parents learned? 
Yeah, I think it's it really parents have learned a lot, right? They've under they learned more about how important teachers are, right? How hard the work is of keeping up when you have, you know, if, especially if you have multiple children in your home, just to see the differences of trying to keep up with a classroom that might have students at many different levels. So I think there's on one hand, a really healthy respect for teachers and how job, how hard the job of teaching is. Um, I think it did also create some tensions. I think the, you know, the, the conversations about, um, keeping schools closed or, or whatnot created tensions between families who really wanted their kids to be back in the school building and teachers who barely were concerned about, about safety and that created tensions. Uh, I also think parents learned more about kind of how, how who's in charge, right? We, there, we, we had these conversations about masking and school closures. And for the most part, the legislature and the governor really allowed the, the local school boards and superintendents to make those decisions. And I think in the past, people haven't quite realized who's in charge on making these decisions. And seeing that school boards are really ultimately making these decisions is, is, a, is a new, it's new insight. So I'm seeing parents far more engaged, uh, whether it's on social media or school board meetings or whatnot, um, uh, with trying to, you know, get involved in some of this decision-making process than I think they have in the past, which can be very, very good. I think anytime you involve parents more is good. um, And it also can be concerning. We, We have this, you know, this, we have to strike a balance of respecting teachers as professionals, that they're making the right decisions in the classrooms and also having parents have absolutely the right to to engage with their elected officials on how the system itself should be working and of course communicating with their educators. So I really think it has opened up parents' eyes into kind of how the system works, but also for the most part, you know, my personal experience and in the conversations with teachers, you know, that understand understanding of, of just how hard it is. Um, I, I hope that that will be something that we'll all roll, roll forward with that going forward. Well, as you said, we learned, uh, uh how important it is to be in the classroom and have an actual teacher in front of you. So that gets us back to the age old question, the one that we talk about every time on the program, how do we attract and keep teachers? And did COVID-19 change that uh, uh, perspective? Or, and are we, uh, what, what is the current thinking on how we go about attracting and keeping teachers? So I have great news to share. We have um, uh, one really incredible trend in the last two years that it actually defies about 10 years of trend in North Carolina and, and frankly is defying current national trend as far as we can tell. And that is we have a surge in enrollment in ed prep programs and teacher preparation programs whether at all levels. So 18 year olds coming in as freshmen, master's degree candidates, also lateral entry or residency um, ed prep program enrollment. The the increases, uh, it went from 14,000 to 20,000 in two years. That's a 6,000 candidate increase in two years. So we've been hearing about this for years, the decline in enrollment in school prep, uh, prep program, teacher prep programs and you know, this is new data, so we're still examining why one factor I can proudly say is um, TeachNC, an initiative that we put forward in North Carolina. 
we have been able to document that at least 2,000 of those enrollments came through the Teach NC initiative in partnership with the ed prep programs and all of their hard work. So we're, we're still examining why that trend is happening, but really excited to see that people are seeing the teaching profession as something that they want to get into. We knew that to be true. We have, I think, 13, 14, 15,000 people on Teach NC who are saying they want to be a teacher in North Carolina. It is an outstanding profession. I'm really excited to see that. Um, the other kind of good news is while we're, we're seeing this mass res resignation across pretty much every industry, we, we don't have data for this year. So we have old data, but for the first year of the pandemic, year and a half of the pandemic, we actually have not seen increased exits of the teach of teaching professionals. Everybody knows teachers who are fed up. There's no question that teachers, like many other professionals, are exhausted, pushed to the limit. They're frayed with, you know, life at home and life with inflation and life in the classroom. But, but we're not seeing that work out in the numbers. So we're actually not seeing a mass exodus, exodus of teachers. We are seeing pressure in the school building, and we're trying to diagnose exactly what where that's coming from. But for example, really struggling to hire substitute teachers, which is a really important part of our teacher workforce, and not really a surprise, right? When when minimum hiring at your local you know restaurant is now fifteen dollars an hour, that we're struggling to get substitute teachers who can be available on time on on call. Um, and of course, um, even though schools have generally been open, we've had teachers who've been exposed to COVID or gotten COVID and had to, you know, quarantine. And so that need for substitutes has been higher. So we have had a lot of pressure. I'm not going to dismiss the fact that it's been a difficult, difficult, very difficult year for staffing um, in our schools. But I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, between that increase in ed prep enrollment and the so far a fairly steady um, retention number that North Carolina looks to be in a fairly good position over the next couple of years. You mentioned Teach NC. Why don't you uh, give the listeners a, uh, a, a recap of how that program works and, and exactly what its goal is? Absolutely. First of all, if anyone listening is interested or knows someone who's interested in being a teacher, please go to www.teachnc.org. Um, the idea being that there are lots of people who want to be a teacher and they need information or they need support. So you can go to that first, that website and find out what it means to be a teacher. How do you get licensed? What are the compensation? You can find information about every school district in the state and really look around to see where you want to work. There's even a jobs board so you can see what jobs are available. And then really important, if you want to talk to a North Carolina teacher, you can make an appointment to talk with a North Carolina teacher about their experience being a teacher. Um, there are our advisors, you can you can uh, set appointments with, um, and you, there's also a live chat. So it really answer it. It removes the barriers that a, a lot of people I talked with who want to be teachers just they just didn't have the right information. They didn't know to, who to go to to get the right information. Um, and as I said, we've had more than ten thousand people sign on. I think it was it was over five thousand just in the very first year. And and it really what it tells me is that there are a lot more people who want to be teachers, and that we're creating unnecessary information barriers, right? And so this is pulling down some of those barriers. It's also identifying some of those other policy barriers and that's helping us inform our work. So I'm excited about kind of that extra part of TeachNC. Um, but if anyone's interested in going there, you can find all of those researches, uh, resources. There are currently 58 ed prep programs. They vary um, significantly in what kinds of 
programs they teach, how much they cost, how long they take. So getting all that information in one place, for example, is, is really helpful. So that's teachnc.org for that valuable source of information. And that this sounds like uh, something that uh, kids could uh, start looking at as early as their sophomore year in high school if they uh, want to. Begin Absolutely. And a lot of school it. districts have what we're calling grow your own programs where you can start talking with your CTE or your college counselors as early as middle school and start asking questions about uh, the teaching profession. Um, some districts will give scholarships and actually pay for partially or pay for all of your education in college. And if, if you promise to come back, there are all sorts of options. And if you live in the Charlotte area, there's actually an early college for teaching. So if you're in eighth grade and you think, oh, teaching might be for me, or at least the coursework might be interesting, there's an early college for teaching that you can start in ninth grade. And in that program, you can gain two or even three years of college credit for free by the time you graduate. So you're leaving not only prepared to become a teacher um, or go, go, you know, finish your degree in teaching, but you're leaving with valuable, very, very valuable college credit. So that's happening in the Charlotte area. And it is the first early college for teaching in the country right here in North Carolina. You mentioned earlier that we have about 20,000 students now in some form of preparing or at least in, involving in uh, preparing to become a teacher. What is the need for uh, replacement teachers, uh, new positions and replacement teachers in North Carolina each year? Does uh, that 20,000 fulfill that need or do we still have a need beyond that? Yeah, so currently uh, the, in, the enrollment in, so those numbers that I gave you are UNC system, so public um, university system numbers. We also have a really robust private university system, many of yeah. which were actually created specifically as teacher colleges, and they're very, very committed, and their graduates are on par um, with, with the graduates from the public from the public universities. And those two combined are our biggest source of teachers in the state of North Carolina. They're not enough. We also recruit from out of state. We are, some people will say, oh, people are leaving our state in droves to teach in other states. And, and certainly it's attractive to you know, earn more money in Texas, although we hear lots of stories of people rebounding back because they like to live in North Carolina. Um, but on net, we actually import more teachers than we export. So that's just a, a fun fact. But currently today, over a third of our new teachers are actually coming from post-baccalaureate. So these are people who already have a college degree. They could be six months out of their degree. They could be 26 years out of their degree. We call them residency candidates. We used to call them lateral entry candidates. But fully right now, I think the latest number was 37% of new teachers are coming that route. And this is really important because they're coming in and they're running, jumping straight into a classroom and leading a classroom of students. They have a college degree, they have some kind of training, you know, in math, say if they're teaching math, but they don't have the pedagogical training. And so we're trying to figure out better ways to make sure that those candidates uh, are, they are enrolled in an ed prep program and they're getting that kind of parallel training um, from our ed prep programs to try and bring them up to speed faster because it's not, uh, it's not fair to their first and second year students that they're kind of learning on the job. So we're working on a couple of different pathways with that. And one is uh, we're working on creating teacher apprenticeships. So these candidates could actually take the choice to take maybe a lower income for that first year or second year and not be the teacher of record and really learn on the job, just like a regular apprentice position. So we're examining that group of, of candidates 
Um, is it important to have more candidates coming through ed prep programs, the traditional route? Absolutely. But I don't want to, to say that it's not also valuable that somebody has career experience or, again, 5, 10, 20 years into their career decides to pivot in the classroom. If that's going to continue to happen and we need to find better ways to support those teachers as well. I'm excited about those conversations that are happening now. So, uh, so the need for new teachers is uh, each year is what in the range of 30,000, 35,000? The need for new teachers is around 6,000. Um, 6, six to eight, kind of depending on how you're counting, because a lot of teachers leave, but then they move to another district or another school. Okay. So. Good. All right. Our guest is Brenda Berg. We uh, are going to come back and talk more about uh, Best North Carolina, the organization that uh, she heads uh, that works for improving education in North Carolina's public school systems, K through 12. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Brenda Berg, who's president and CEO of Best North Carolina. We've had Brenda on a number of times, and she's got all sorts of data and information about uh, the school systems in North Carolina and what is being done to improve the uh, school systems in North Carolina, and uh, it's all being funded by an organization called Best North Carolina. Brenda, why don't you give us a little bit of background on Best North Carolina, uh, who funds it, and uh, why business is interested in improving education in North Carolina. Thanks, Don. I really appreciate being, being on here and having this conversation. Well, Best NC is over 100 business leaders across the state of North Carolina um, who have gotten together and said that we believe education in North Carolina can be the best in the nation. Uh, and there's no question in my mind, I've been leading uh, as a CEO, as the founding CEO for, for a little while now. And I, we are on track, I believe, to be the best in the, in the nation. And, and where we have really focused most of our effort and not all of our effort is on the people in the school building who have the greatest influence on student success. And that's the teachers and the principals in our schools. And we do that 
really thinking about how do we think about our own employees? How do you recruit and prepare and develop and support, you know, your best talent in your businesses? And many of our businesses that our members are always on those best places to work lists. And we want North Carolina schools to be on the best places to, to work list. So having that as our, as our goal, we've been working on uh, particularly on teacher recruitment and support and also very much focused on principal support. People can find out more by going to our website, which is bestnc.org. Um, and also um, in there, you'll find a lot of data. You'll hear me talk about data all the time. If you go to our facts and figures page, you can download our, our book with data from pre-K through higher education, North Carolina. I, I, you send me a copy of that each year and I, I'm fascinated with all the data. It's so interesting to read it. So I would urge the listeners to go online and take a look at that. You'll find it to be fascinating. Bestnc.org is where you find it. Brenda, why is it in the best interest of businesses to support education? Why are they interested in supporting you with their funds and their time and their effort? Right. Well, we're all committed to the economy of our state. We're all committed to the well-being of our state. There's, in North Carolina, we have certainly an economic imperative, right? These are the employees of our future and they're the future of the state. We also have a constitutional imperative. Our state mandates a sound basic education for all students and business leaders recognize that need. And I would also argue that we have a moral imperative that every single student who's going through our education system when they leave, that they should have an opportunity to reach their highest potential in their community, in their job, with their families. And a, we all know that a great education is correlated with that. So as our I think unique to North Carolina as an importer of jobs, right? We are we are surging on every single day. A new a new plant is opening up, a new company is opening up and coming here. So not only are we interested in kind of the product of our system, but we also are care we care about the attractiveness of our system. Somebody moves here from you know the Bay Area, we want them to know that their children are going to be coming into a good school system. So I would I would say we double down on education in North Carolina, not just because of the outcome of the system, but the attractiveness of it to attract talent into our state today. Now, while your focus is on K through 12, I'm sure you also benefit with the knowledge and the input from the UNC system, uh, from the community college system, and also the private colleges. How do you, how do you work with them and how, what impact do they have on your work? Yeah, we have a great relationship. And I'd also say pre-K, right? Because that that pre-K yeah, yeah. is, is so important. And, and higher education, and I, I sit on a, a community college board and, and we're very engaged with My Future NC, which works on you know, educational attainment issues. Uh, where we probably have the most direct relationship with the higher education is also this virtuous cycle of our teachers and principals are prepared in our institutions of higher education. So I'm really pleased with our work with the community colleges and the UNC system and the private universities um, that they've created new pathways for people to come into the profession. The community college system now has associates degrees that are part of a two plus two pathway to go into both of the UNC system schools and private institutions. And, um, and now they're about to be approved as a post-baccalaureate provider of, of teacher preparation. So you know, the, the, our higher education is preparing the teachers who will prepare our future students to go into higher education. So this, this virtuous cycle. Uh, the other element where I think we're, we're working um, as we go forward is we're looking at how do we ensure that every single student is really prepared to go to college? 
Um, so personalized learning, competency-based learning, um, it's really uh, focused on making sure that every student is getting to those key benchmarks. Third grade reading is a major predictor for life. Eighth grade math is, a, is your single biggest predictor of whether or not students thrive in college. So everything that we're doing feeds directly into how the, the, the higher education system performs. You brought to my attention, uh, at least, and I'm sure to the attention of the entire state, the importance of school principals. And we talk often about uh, how important teachers are, but the uh, principals uh, usually come from the teacher rank, but it is an entirely type, a different type of job. It's management and uh, takes different skills, but the schools that seem to do well in North Carolina always seem to have an outstanding principal. Tell us a little bit more about your work in that regard. Well, I, I, you know, I am very proud. I think North Carolina is leading. I'm, I don't think I know North Carolina is leading the nation on this conversation about principles. When we started this work, I couldn't beg for a conversation about principles. And coming from the business world, I used to run a, a manufacturing company. I understand that leadership is critically important. Great teachers want to great work for great principles. Um, and so when you start looking around the state at these schools that are outperforming where you would expect them to perform, you, you meet these principals and they have empowered their teachers. They've set a strategic vision for their school. They set a, a culture of high expectations for all students. They just believe firmly that every student can succeed and we're going to figure out how to get there. They look for unique ways to meet the, the special needs of their students and their, and frankly, the capacities of their teachers. And, and those are, yes, they're, they're unique skills and yes, they mostly come from the teaching profession, which they should, because they're also the instructional leader. They're, they're, they're making sure teachers know how to teach, right, which is really important. Um, but those skills ha have to be learned. I know I was a young CEO, my first company, I was 29 years old as a CEO, and, and I didn't learn all those, those tools of hire slow and <laughs> fire fast. And, and, and so we in North Carolina have a new principal fellows program. It was, it was sort of interim called TP3, um, where we are now very intentionally allowing districts to recruit their very best leadership talent into this pipeline. And the state is funding it. We're saying it, this is so important. We're not. We're going to remove the financial burden. We know that you have leadership potential, and they're putting them through a rigorous two-year program, including a full year of paid residency, shadowing an effective principal. We know these things work. We know that recruiting and vetting, and then putting these candidates into a strong cohort, and then giving them that residency. We know that they work. And, and to give you a sense, the Best NC is not funding this. We are encouraging the state to invest in, in this work. And we're now already producing 50% of our principal talent starting next year um, in this way. And over 500 candidates, or uh, sorry, just shy of 500 candidates have already graduated. We have 2,500 schools in this state. So this is a, a major opportunity to improve you know, the leadership in our schools. Um, and again, to give to give you a sense, we spend more than ten thousand dollars per year per student on education. This major, very important effort is less than ten dollars per student. 
right? So a very wise investment in our students. And similarly, we, we advocated to dramatically increase t- uh, principal pay. We were last in the, the region and probably last in the entire country about five years ago. And now um, we're, we're, we're now competitive somewhere in the top three in the region um, and paying our, our principals in a new way that's actually incentivizing our best principals to move to higher needs schools and, and incentivizing our best, best principals to stay in the school building instead of going to a central office. So I'm really, truly excited about the work that we're doing in North Carolina on leadership. And you know everyone benefits when you have great principals. The parents benefit, teachers benefit, and certainly the students. And so you feel comfortable with where we are on principal pay. Uh, how about teacher pay? Have we made significant progress there? Uh, teacher pay, we made progress from 2014 to 2018, and then it sort of stalled out. We had, as you know, some budget debates. Uh, we had a frozen budget for two years, and now we're halfway into a new biennium with a about a depends on how you look at it, a 5% pay increase across two years, but with inflation um, and with surrounding states becoming more competitive, there are several points on teacher pay where we're behind and behind by a substantial amount. Uh, So we increased beginning teacher pay to $35,000 back in 2015, and we haven't really substantially increased that since then. So while average pay, we're sort of in the middle of our region. When I talk about our region, I'm talking about 13 different states in our area. We're about in the middle on average pay. We are second to the last on beginning pay. So we know that we need to increase beginning pay substantially to become more competitive with surrounding states. That is a major decision point. Do I go across the border to Georgia and study there and become a teacher there, or do I stay here in North Carolina? And then second, um, we also know that our the, the beginning of our pay schedule, you could have a teacher who becomes fully licensed expert teacher five years into their career, and it can take 20 more years for them to earn the top of the pay schedule for for a teacher. So we want to get them earning expert pay faster like other professions do. That doesn't mean they can't have career opportunities for growth and earn more later and, of course, increases for inflation. But we want um, if you're an expert teacher five years in, why should you have to wait 10, 20 years to, to earn what your what your colleagues are, are earning? So that's another another uh, kind of pain point on on teacher pay. An opportunity on teacher pay, which is really exciting, is about nine percent of our schools are now doing something called advanced teaching roles. And if anybody's interested in this, please come to our website. We have great new videos and a new policy brief about it. This is a, 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 an opportunity within schools where instead of having one principal and 50 direct reports who are all kind of one teacher, one classroom, we're creating uh, leadership opportunities for teachers to stay in the classroom and keep teaching students, but also coaching their peers and working with their colleagues. And they can get paid up to $20,000 more to be a lead teacher. And, and then also there, there are other teachers who maybe don't want to take on leadership roles, but they are more effective and they can reach more students and you can earn maybe five or $6,000 more in those positions. Um, in these schools that are now doing this, there are over 900 teachers in these new leadership roles. Um, students are achieving better, teacher retention is higher, um, teacher satisfaction is higher, um, and not just amongst those who are getting these promotions, but amongst their peers as well. So it's a really exciting opportunity. Each district has to choose to opt in. So 
we hope districts will start opting into that soon and we'll um, be kind of blending that in with this conversation we had earlier about teacher apprenticeships, right? Those lead teachers will now be the kind of the, the key support for teacher apprentices. So how do we kind of blend that into our system? But that is a major opportunity for teacher pay and for the experience of being a teacher, whether you're that lead teacher or that developing teacher. You got about 30 seconds to answer a more extensive question. What about benefits? Are our benefits competitive? Yeah, our benefits are, there's a good um, benefits comparison. Our benefits are comparable to other states. Um, sort of in the middle, but what, where we're missing is more states are offering different opportunities for how those pension benefits happen. Can Is it a defined benefits package or they can have a more flexible IRA option? I think that's something that would be interesting to consider. Our health insurance, though, just like everybody's, the costs are going through the roof. So we've been spending a lot more on benefits while teacher pay has not been going up. So we are definitely spending more on teachers, but a lot of it's going into our benefits package. Well, I didn't give you a lot of time to talk about that, but maybe we can bring that up in our final segment, which will be coming up right after we take a break. We have Brenda Berg is our guest. She's the president and CEO of Best North Carolina. And as I said, we have one final segment, and I'm anxious to talk to Brenda about uh, an initiative called Passways to Excellence. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Brenda Berg. We'll be talking with Brenda in just a moment. A reminder that this program comes in two different versions. A number of our affiliates carry a 30-minute version of the program, which leaves out two segments. So if you're listening to one of those stations and you'd like to hear the additional two segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and you can pick up those two segments. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with someone or enjoy it again yourself, you can find that also on carolinanewsmakers.com. As I said, our uh, subject this week is education. Brenda Berg is the president of, of Best North Carolina, an advocacy organization here in North Carolina, which works to improve education, primarily 
uh, preschool and uh, K through uh, uh, 12. And uh, we've talked about all sorts of things. But one of the things that Brenda mentioned very early on before we started the broadcast was a new program called Pathways to Excellence. And I promised I was going to leave this to the final segment so that everyone can hear it. So, Brenda, tell us about it. Well, in our last segment, we talked a, a bit about, um, I shared on advanced teaching roles. And so for anyone who hasn't heard it, make sure you do. But we have, um, we, we're starting to look at the whole pathway. Um, you said it's, it's Pathways to Excellence. It's called Pathways to Excellence for Teaching Professionals. And this is a conversation that the State Board of Education, the, the state North Carolina State Board of Education has handed to their licensure commission, which is the acronym is PEPSI, P-E-P-S-C, and that's their licensure commission, to really evaluate what is that whole experience of becoming a teacher from, from the early licensure to the, uh, the permanent sort of fully licensed, um, how does that connect to compensation and professional development and career pathways? So I'm really excited that North Carolina's um, education system is doing something I, I don't think I know not of any other state in the country is doing. We're looking at how do we tie together all of these important issues, uh, whether it's we talked in an earlier segment about the idea of teacher apprenticeship, that somebody who's coming into the profession shouldn't necessarily be pushed directly into the classroom as the, uh, the teacher of record. And at the other end of the spectrum, really, really great teachers who are leaving to go to central office or to become a principal when they'd really rather just stay in the in the classroom and work with their peers to develop their 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 peers in the classroom. So how do you connect those things together? And I'll give you a great example. They're doing teacher apprenticeship in Texas and in schools that are doing advanced teaching roles. Those apprenticeships are getting you know, tremendous support from leader, lead teachers and they're really learning how to become teachers. In schools that don't have that, they're walking into a school building where every single teacher is sort of in their classroom with their door closed and they might be apprenticing with one teacher, but they're not getting that exposure. And oftentimes they end up being used as a substitute. They sort of fill a gap within the building. So if we really look at a comprehensive model of connecting all these things together, we're going to have not just a one plus one equals three, but a one plus one plus one plus one equals 25, right? We're gonna have a massive multiplier effect. Um, so one of the problems, I've, I've named a couple of, you know, residency teachers coming in and kind of being thrown into the classroom and effective teachers not having career opportunities. Another problem that we're trying to solve with this is license, the licensure system is fundamentally broken uh, in North Carolina. And I'll give you one really important example. Uh, I heard from a, a principal and I won't name the name of the county, but they have this fantastic teacher who's been with them for seven years on these like provisional and emergency and kind of temporary licenses that we currently have. But they haven't been able to pass this one test, this Praxis exam, it's a bubble test, right, that gets them into their official license. Now, this teacher has been teaching for seven years, been exposed to students for seven years, and every single year she has met or exceeded growth with her students. So which of these is more important to you, that they passed a bubble test or that we know that they are effective as a teacher? This teacher is going to lose their license because we have prioritized, um, we have not prioritized effectiveness as a, a measure for becoming licensed in North Carolina. So I'm really excited about this model because it doesn't say you can't use um, other methods for proving your effectiveness, but we're going to be able to now use um, 
do your students appreciate your teaching? Do your colleagues, are your performance reviews positive? Are your growth scores good? We can use other measures of effectiveness to license teachers so we don't lose great teachers. Um, and so we don't have that barrier. And that barrier happens also on the front end because there are some who can't pass the preliminary test, even though if they take a circular route, they end up being a really great teacher. So I'm excited about this opportunity. Uh, I think it, it will change the way uh, people become a teacher. It will change the, it'll dramatically improve the level of support they will get as a teacher. And there, it comes with a big pay increase that is much needed um, at both at the beginning level, at the expert level, and also for these highly effective teachers later on in their careers. So keep your, your ears open for that. Um, that's not going to happen in this legislative session because it's just the short end of the biennium right now, but those conversations will be starting up at the state board over the next couple of months. And, um, and, and you can expect to hear some, some stress about change because change is, is hard. And as I've said multiple times, that means that we have to be really open and hear what teachers' concerns are also hear why people aren't coming in. So hear the concerns of people who aren't coming into the profession and then and work through a model. I, I, I believe North Carolina is gonna be leading the nation in the next couple of years on this. Well, uh, you mentioned the uh, legislative session. This is the so-called short session. It uh, is not nearly as short as it used to be years ago, but it is uh, <laughs> uh, still called the short session. Uh, and uh, uh, of course, a lot of legislation that was left over from the so-called long session is being considered. What uh, legislation is up that uh, you think uh, the, the uh, folks in North Carolina should know about and what is the likelihood of it passing? Yeah, so the short session this year, the, the intention is that it will be short. And that's, we've heard that before, and sometimes it runs to Thanksgiving. Um, but this year it is, it is shorter because it's starting later because of the late primaries. And of course it's an election year, so they wanna go home. Um, so we're hearing that if they can't reach an agreement to do anything further, that they will go home sooner than later. So I think this will actually, I believe this will be a short session. Um, for those who are following budgets, they passed a biennium budget, right? So they already have a budget for this year and that can just continue. That does include, for example, teacher pay increases, principal pay increases. Um, but I think there is an interest. The governor has put out his version of the budget. It includes more raises. It also includes more bonuses um, for teachers and for principals. Um, and so there's a possibility that um, there's definitely going to be a conversation about teacher pay and, and probably mostly because of, you know, we all know that inflation is affecting everybody's bottom line. Uh, so I think we'll see maybe some more teacher pay. Um, I, I think seeing that in the form of the, a bonus in a year like this, where you can then be more strategic about it next year, probably makes sense. But, you know, it would be some combination of, of bonus or you know, increases to the pay schedule. So that's the, the biggest conversation. Um, I think there are other issues that are, are kind of bubbling up, but a lot are, are more technical in nature. And there is a parent's bill of rights bill that came through a Senate committee yesterday that will be probably the most contentious education issue. Uh, and I invite people to, to take a look at that language. Um, it includes some of the language that um, on uh, you know, K-2 lessons on gender, 
and it includes some language about parents understanding the, the, the support systems that are in the schools. So I would encourage particularly parents and educators to really look at that language and see and see what's there that um, that has merit. Um, as it is, we're hearing that, you know, it, it'll probably go through, but that the governor might not sign it. But again, I'm, I haven't ha- have been privy to those conversations. So I, I don't know anything more than that. Well, it's, uh, you know, always uh, interesting things. And of course, with the uh, organization that you have uh, and your website, uh, parents and uh, those who are interested in education can always follow up. I, I did have one interesting question that uh, doesn't have a lot to do with everything we've talked about so far, but school systems in North Carolina vary. And we have about 20, 25 counties that are growing, uh, rapidly expanding. And then we have uh, uh, 80 counties that in some cases are actually decreasing in size. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure this is a this is a problem for some of those very small school systems that not only are, are small to begin with, but may even be facing further cutbacks. What do you see as a solution to that problem? Yeah, i glad you pointed that out. We do have a number of districts that are contracting on particularly with student enrollment. They may be aging, right? But but they're, they're just not as much younger population. And, and those districts, you know, a lot of districts have a lot of COVID money right now. And so there's this bridge of the, the state has held districts harmless and there's COVID money, but what happens when that's gone? And so I'm really hoping that districts are planning ahead and looking at, well, how do we use these resources to prepare for a world where we have lower enrollment? Um, we're looking at the numbers right now over the last, the people who exited the traditional public school system have, many have come back, but not all of them have come back. So not only are you having just a declining population in some places, but you're also seeing even in places like Wake County, decreases in enrollment. So this, the districts really need to think about what are those tough choices of you know, consolidating school buildings. And, and that's a very emotional decision to have to make. How do you use your resources to, to, to do that? Um, what, what are your decisions about staffing? How do you make sure that your most critical teachers and your most critical roles, that they're feeling supported and, and engaged and you're not going to lose them? As with any industry that has its ups and downs, they need to prepare. So you, you, you've hit on a really important one. Our, and our leadership, our superintendent leadership is so important. At a time when superintendents are leaving in a rate that we've not seen before, I think it'll be a little bit better this year, but over the last couple of years, we've had a huge turnover um, in superintendents leadership in our state. Um, so I, you know, that again, this is why our organization has focused on principal leadership for so long, because those principals become superintendents and, and lead schools. But I would also encourage, encourage parents and community leaders to really talk with their school boards. What are you doing to prepare for enrollment issues? How can we help, right? Um, instead of sort of throwing it across the fence, how can people really engage with their communities to use those resources as best as possible? What what tough decisions have to be made when we had the recession, uh, school districts had to decide who to riff. And hopefully we're not at that place, but um, school districts that uh, la- laid off teachers who were newer, 
um, didn't do as well as those who really looked at keeping their very highest performing. Charlotte, for example, kept their highest performing teachers and it paid off in academic success. So making some tough decisions and thinking carefully about that. Our school, our school uh, superintendents and our school boards need to, to be looking ahead at that. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, thank you for being with us. Brenda Bird, President and CEO of Best North Carolina Advocacy Organization for Education. TeachNC.org and BestNC.org are the two websites. We'll be back again next week with another interesting guest that Jason Kong, our producer, will produce for us. And we will look forward to having you along with us on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. So till next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.